Questions by members? Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Mr. Speaker, British Columbians have done and are doing their part to fight COVID-19. They have overwhelmingly got vaccinated and boosted, and now they want government to do their part too. People are asking for clarity, Mr. Speaker, in how British Columbia is moving forwards to an endemic approach to managing COVID-19. But so far, we are yet to see clear specific metrics, targets, or timelines for lifting the remaining restrictions. So the question to the Premier is, can he tell us the specific metrics for lifting the remaining COVID-19 restrictions? Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, with respect to the specific uh, restrictions put in place to deal with the Omicron variant of concern, when those were extended uh, in uh, the early part of January, Dr. Henry was specific as to when they would be reviewed. She repeated that statement on a number of occasions in between time, as did I. And on the day where we said we would respond, we did. And changes were made to, to ease restrictions. When that announcement was made, specific dates were given as well as to when the remaining um, restrictions would be considered. We're following that schedule precisely. We're continuing to follow the advice of public health. And I think it's that clarity that has allowed us to keep schools open where other jurisdictions have not. To and I think, Honourable Speaker, to work very closely, and I'm very proud of the work public health has done with the business community, with the labour community, with the non-profit community, with those who work with people with developmental disabilities, with school communities, and with many others about COVID restrictions and their impact. So we've been clear, precise, to the day, and we will continue to be. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, we, British Columbians are left wondering what reviewed means. They're wondering what being considered means. So BC is an outlier when it comes to a clear and transparent specific plan for lifting COVID-19 restrictions. British Columbians have followed the rules to fight this virus, so it's only fair to ask for clear specific metrics when it comes to lifting restrictions. In fact, just last year, the BC Restart Plan had targets for hospitalizations, case counts and vaccination rates. It makes no sense that we don't have that same level of transparency today. Surely there are specific indicators that will be used to make these decisions. So again, to the Premier, what specifically are the clear scientific metrics for how the remaining COVID-19 restrictions will be lifted? Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, every day we provide specific metrics on how COVID-19 is going in British Columbia. The member will know uh, that yesterday we saw two things. We saw the number of people in hospital, I think it was 516 yesterday, and that is less than half than it was at the height of the Omicron variant of concern pan pandemic, which was 1,058. However, it's also higher than it was at any time in the pandemic prior to December 1st. So this is continuing to be a situation that's particularly challenging 
for healthcare workers everywhere in BC. It's why we've taken a balanced approach as we have from the beginning. Other jurisdictions have moved their restrictions up and down more quickly, and clearly, and it's true, other jurisdictions have relied less clearly on public health than we have. But the situation continues to be a serious one, and it's why a balanced approach is required. It's why on the day that Dr. Henry said she would address the lifting of restrictions, she did. She gave four weeks notice of that, repeatedly updated it, gave a clear plan with clear metrics as to why that was happening, laid it out remarkably, including yesterday. She also, at that time, gave specific dates. I don't know how you can be more specific than giving specific dates as Members. to where the existing, uh, the existing uh, uh, restrictions would be reconsidered. So uh, the information is clear, the evidence is clear, the challenge continues, and the balanced approach remains. And I don't know, Honourable Speaker, of any jurisdiction in North America that can be prouder of public health in British Columbia. Leader of the Official Opposition. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And to the Minister, what we are proud of is the fact that British Columbians, for more than two years, the vast majority of them, and I know the Minister knows this too, have done absolutely everything that they have been asked to do and more. And we're proud of that. And while we certainly appreciate the fact that the government has laid out a time frame for the next update, what is missing in terms of the directions that have been provided for British Columbians is what will it take to specifically trigger the lifting of the restrictions that remain in place. The last restart plan had very specific targets for case counts, hospitalizations, the number of vaccinations. We don't have that now. We have a date on the calendar where British Columbians have been told that the restrictions will be reviewed. I think the minister would understand that there is uncertainty, there is anxiety. People want to know what specifically will trigger the lifting of the remaining restrictions in British Columbia. What specific measures? Could the minister provide those today? Minister of Health. Oh, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, the member knows, as I've just described it, that uh, the situation in British Columbia with respect to hospitalizations continues to be challenging. Last week, about 13,500 healthcare workers were off sick, not all with COVID-19. There's a lot of healthcare workers in the system, but that's significantly more than is usually the case. So what, is, what goes into the consideration? modeling, and that has been routinely provided to the opposition and to the people of BC by Dr. Henry and public health. Hospitalizations, test positivity, which is more important right now than case counts specifically because of the nature of the Omicron variant of concern, something that Dr. Henry has described at great length. The number of people in critical care, vaccination rates, all of these go into the consideration by public health in making the decisions. And so those are reviewed. Our progress is reviewed every day not just by Dr. Henry and her team, but by the people of BC who see the results, both in the number of people in BC who are, who are still struggling and will continue to struggle with COVID-19 for some time, the impact of measures on communities. And so we review these things consistently 
Dr. Henry reviews these things consistently. She's provided a date in which the next consideration will occur. And you know, Honorable Speaker, it could be, and people, some people have called for this, that we would have uh, premiers make these decisions on behalf of Dr. Henry, but that's not been our approach in BC on public health measures, which are the proper jurisdiction of the provincial health officer. We've communicated regularly and consistently. And I think it's been a mutually successful situation. The people of BC have responded with more adherence to public health measures than anywhere else in BC. And that's in part because Dr. Henry and her team have been so open, I think thoughtful in their communications on those very issues. So Honorable Speaker, that approach will continue. The uh, members can expect to hear uh, uh, on specific dates the next steps in the COVID-19 pandemic. As you know, there are two major uh, measures still in place, the BC vaccine card and mass mandates in indoor public spaces across BC. And uh, those will be considered in the Thank context you. of the evidence as we have done from the beginning Thank of the you. pandemic. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you very much. And I, I think what the minister, the point the minister is missing is that as British Columbians have continued day after day, month after month to do the right thing, as they sit in British Columbia today, what they hear from this government is, here's the next date that we'll let you know. And we are far past the time where that is good enough. As they, as British Columbians sit, and watch other jurisdictions across the country make specific decisions, make that information transparent, they make it clear when and what will happen in their province. Let's just look at what's happened in other jurisdictions who have outlined... Members, members, please. Let's hear the question. Members, please the members continue. Opposite, thank please you, Mr. Continue. Speaker. The members opposite may want to dismiss what are legitimate questions about the rollout of the next phase of lifting restrictions. British Columbians don't think it's quite as funny as people on the other side of the house. These are legitimate and important questions. They are about what metrics will it take to actually trigger the lifting of the final restrictions? And the minister can make statements about, you know, whether the premier's making decisions. Those are not words that I said today. What I am asking on behalf of the people of British Columbia is what specific measures, targets, metrics will lead to the lifting of the restrictions? Mask mandates and vaccine cards have been removed in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Quebec, Manitoba, and Maritime provinces have clear timelines. They have timelines in place specifically about when those mandates will be lifted. And Ontario has dropped their vaccine passport. Every province but BC have announced that they are completely ending the use of the vaccine passport. We're simply asking what I think is an important question in this legislature. What will it take to lift the remaining restrictions in British Columbia so that parents can plan, businesses can plan, that in fact we can have certainty as we move ahead in British Columbia?
Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I think the Leader of the Opposition knows that uh, I'm always ready to discuss with anybody at any time and answer questions at any time. And I don't consider any question to be illegitimate of any kind about the COVID-19 pandemic. This is something we're all living through together. And that's why, during the period of the Omicron variant of concern, we took specific measures to keep people safe in BC. We went up to 1,058 hospitalizations. We're now down at 516. Yesterday, there were 9,350 people in acute care hospitals. That's more than our base bed capacity, but significantly less than our base and surge bed capacities, but it's a significant issue. There are 432 people in critical care. These are the measures that we look at every day. The trajectory is in the right direction. But again, it is, it is assessing that information against the reality of COVID-19 and its impact on people that we have to do every day. And that's what public health is doing. The next uh, they will be, and we've made this clear uh, last week at our next week's uh, uh, press availability and media availability, which the public sees in BC. We've made it clear we'll have more information about the two significant remaining measures. Uh, and what, what do we need? We need people to continue to do what they have been doing, which is overwhelmingly following the mask mandate, overwhelmingly getting vaccinated, overwhelmingly using their BC vaccine card to continue to drive down those rates. Because even though 516 is less than 1,058, it's still 516 people. And even though 73 people are in critical care, surely we all agree that 73 people too many with COVID-19. So we continue to have to take the steps necessary. We've laid out a specific time frame. It's hospitalization, it's cases, it's test positivity, and it's the impact of the Omicron variant and concern on people that are the main considerations. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. This is a quote from a CBC article from February 27th. Advocates say the lack of progress on a safe supply of drugs in BC and a fixation on treating addiction instead is in keeping with the BC NDP's approach since they came into power in 2017 and hindering any efforts to stop the deaths. This province makes no mention of safe supply in its 2022-23 budget, focusing only on the ruling NDP's expansion of addiction treatment in response to the toxic drug crisis that claimed thousands of lives last year." End of quote. Every day, seven British Columbians are poisoned by toxic drugs. If every person with substance use disorder was to recover in British Columbia, our toxic drug market would still kill people, because not all people who use drugs are addicted. In fact, the chief coroner made it very clear that the majority of people dying from drugs are not frequent drug users and do not have a substance use disorder. This is fundamentally not about addiction, but this government refuses to recognize the reality that in this province, more than 100,000 people use drugs and are at risk of dying from a poison supply. This is a health emergency not an overdose crisis. Through you, Honourable Speaker, because it is a health emergency to the Minister of Health, how does the Minister of Health intend to separate those who use drugs from the toxic supply without any additional funding in Budget 2022 to achieve this? Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. 
you, Mr. Speaker. I am uh, honored to be the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions and with the assigned responsibility for um, overdose response uh, mental and building a system of mental health and addictions care that did not exist in 2017 when we took government. Um, I give thanks every day for the healthcare system and the health authorities that are fighting two public health emergencies while building that system of care simultaneously. The uh, budget commitment in last year's budget over the three-year fiscal plan dedicates over half a billion dollars to building up that mental health and addiction system of care with $22.6 million dedicated specifically to prescribed safe supply. Prescribed safe supply being the, uh, the bandwidth that the provincial government has within a federal system. That is our mechanism um, to deliver prescribed safe supply, to separate people from the toxic drug supply with the use of prescribers. We are grateful to health authorities, to the federal safer programs, and to prescribers, nurse prescribers and doctors who are separating people from the toxic drug supply. This was mentioned in the finance minister's speech. It was echoed in our budget, but because long-term planning is needed, it was in last year's budget. We are spending at an unprecedented level on treatment and recovery, on fighting stigma through our decriminalization application and our work with the construction industry and other partners to beat back stigma, to do drug testing, treatment recovery, supervised consumption sites, and prescribed safe supply. There is more to do and we're determined to Thank do you. <laughs> Leader of the third party, supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And, and I think this reinforces exactly what was pointed out by advocates, which has been pointed out by experts, which has been pointed out by health professionals, is that we are treating this like an addictions crisis. It's not an addictions crisis. It is a toxic supply crisis. If one in 10 bottles of wine were killing people in this province, we wouldn't have a minister stand up and say, we're going to build a system of care. We would have a government respond to the fact that people are dying from a poisonous supply. This government applauds itself for introducing safer prescribed alternatives to the toxic drug market. 100% of the 12,000 people given prescribed safe supply in 2021 and 2020 were given withdrawal management substances, not true safe supply. And it doesn't mention the tens of thousands more people who don't have a prescription of safe supply and will never get one. It's Honourable Speaker, it's, it's hard for me to understand the acceptance of seven people dying every day and not thinking, uh-oh, what we're doing right now isn't working because things are getting worse. More people are dying. Not people with substance use disorders, not people with addictions, people who use once in a while. This government tells you its priorities by where it spends its money, and this government is not spending money to stop these preventable deaths. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. Why does this government lack the political will to implement true harm reduction solutions that will actually prevent the deaths of seven people every day? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Mr. Speaker, not a single death 
is acceptable in this province, and never has there been so much spent on mental health and addictions, $2.8 billion a year now under this government. There, is a, uh, there are a multitude of reasons where people fall into addiction or into drug use, and so we are addressing, we are hitting that crisis with everything with better pain management, with better occupational safety, with uh, anti-stigma campaigns carried out with the construction industry, with sports organizations like the BC Lions and the BC Canucks. We're applying for decriminalization to more clearly assert that drug use is a healthcare problem, not a criminal justice problem. We are doubling youth treatment beds. We are adding hundreds of treatment beds every year. And because it is the power that a province has within a federal framework, we are offering prescribed safe supply, the only province in Canada that does so. I am very encouraged that I now have a federal counterpart. Uh, the federal government has mirrored British Columbia's adoption of having the first in Canada, Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, with a federal counterpart in uh, Minister Carolyn Bennett. Um, there may well be conversations about how to expand safe supply within the federal framework. These are the powers that we have. British Columbia's hitting this with every tool we have. And before the pandemic, the number of deaths did drop, and then the toxicity of drugs has spiked in a heartbreaking you, and life-threatening way. We're determined to keep doing more and to bring uh, the death, uh, terrible death toll down Thank again. Thank you. <laughs> Member for Abbotsford South. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 2017, this NDP government announced that a new BC Bid website would be, quote, up and running in 2019, end quote. Next, the Minister of Citizen Services said, quote, we expect the new BC Bid to be ready in 2020, end quote. Last year, the Minister claimed it was on budget and would be operating by the end of 2021. Mr. Speaker, None of these comments from the minister turned out to be true. The NDP and the minister have completely bungled this project from day one. So my question to the minister is, when will the project will be done? And how much more will this NDP bungling end up costing the BC taxpayers? Minister of Citizens Services. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. So I'd like to let all the members of the House know uh, that the current BC bid site is actually more than 25 years old. It no longer meets the needs of people and the businesses who do use it. And our government is doing what the members opposite failed to do, and that is fix the system. We need a system that's faster, more reliable, will provide more openness and transparency on opportunities to work with government. And uh, we're now testing the application. We're preparing buyers uh, and suppliers for registration and onboarding. Uh, we're training government buyers on using the new, new tool. And we'll be hosting information sessions for broader public sector users and suppliers to ensure that they become familiar with the new application and launch. Uh, so we're doing the work, Honourable Member. There's almost $7 billion worth of opportunities available annually through BC Bid, and this new site will give 
people and businesses the opportunity to work with government who haven't had the chance before. Thank you. Member for Abbotsford South Supplemental. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, the sad fact is that British Columbians just don't believe this minister anymore. Everyone knows she has trouble with the truth. Member, member will withdraw that comment. Member. I withdraw the comment, Mr. Speaker. Now, whether it's on fees for freedom of information or on a project that she's completely bungled, on March 23, 2020, recommendations were prepared for the minister for a complete project reset with delayed timelines, reduced scope, and a changed budget. The minister, respectfully, had to be aware of the serious problems, but when asked by the opposition myself last spring, she completely dismissed the concerns and claimed nothing had changed from the original budget. FOI documents released to a reporter show not one, not two, but 34 change requests were made on the project which have added more than $2.5 million in cost to the BC taxpayers. So the question is why was this minister pretending the project was on time and on budget when it wasn't even remotely true? Member for, sorry, Minister for Cities and Services. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And you know, I think it's truly unfortunate that the members opposite take great pains to attack my character here in this House, but I truly believe it speaks more to them than it does to me. really interesting because when the members opposite were government, they did absolutely nothing to improve a 25-year-old system that was falling apart. Member, member for Abbotsford West. Members, members, be careful with your language. Minister will continue. Thank you. So it is because of a lack of planning by the previous government that we are here today, and our government is doing the hard work to actually fix the system. This is a huge, large, complex system that uh, the work has taken longer than expected. Of course, uh, we, we were affected by the impacts brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic and other factors. Uh, 
associated with the complicated technical redevelopment of a 25-year-old legacy program that was falling apart. The new BC bid is being worked on now. As I've said in my previous answer, we're actually out testing it right now with users so that we can provide a better service for British Columbians. We're creating a more open and transparent BC bid that will allow people to share in the $7 billion in procurement we do every year. Thank you. Member for Abbotsford West. Members, answer is over. Question time. Member for Absolute West. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. The Minister wonders why we are doubtful about the accuracy of what she advises this House. Her own documents obtained by FOI, Mr. Speaker, confirm that the work on this project was initiated in 2015, and she deliberately tries to suggest to the House that that is not so. And that, Mr. Speaker, is unacceptable. Once, once again, the, the problem, Mr. Speaker, is it is once again very difficult to reconcile what the minister is saying with the truth as revealed in her own documents, Mr. Speaker. That, that, that is the challenge. Members, members, please, member, please continue. And, and. It's a recurring pattern from this minister, Mr. Speaker, and I'm sorry to have to say that. If there were a Nobel Prize for secrecy and misinformation, she'd be in Oslo today, Mr. Speaker. The government, the government that claimed they were going to be the most open in all of Canada is about as transparent as my bathroom window, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> <laughs> members, order. Me members. What's that? Members. That's all you do. Page after page after page of documents obtained by FOI confirm, Mr. Speaker, that this project is years behind schedule significantly over budget and continues to be plagued by problems and the minister has tried deliberately to conceal that fact from this house for the past three years why has she done that mr speaker and why won't she be honest about the state of the project all right members before i before i recognize the minister no question has been asked so please be quiet Let's hear the answer. Minister for Citizen Services. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And well, if there was an Oscar for Little Theatre, the member of Abbotsford West would certainly win that. don't know what the members don't understand about fixing a 25-year-old legacy system that was left falling apart. We are doing the hard work. We are testing the application with buyers. We're preparing suppliers. We're onboarding uh, as we speak. We're training government buyers. Uh, we were delayed due to COVID-19 and um, actually fixing a 25-year-old legacy system. Uh, Honourable Speaker, we're doing the hard work that those members didn't. <laughs> <laughs> 